That might have been too much hype. I don't know. You don't, just sit down, guys. We're all friends. Um, now, I feel like I want to do the thing that Tim always does at retreats, where he starts talking and then realizes he wasn't saying anything that he meant to say, because you just gave me all kinds of ideas of stuff that I wanted to say, but then I'm like, wait, I don't know. I don't know where it all fits together, but um, hey, I'm Derek. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Thank you for giving me your Friday night and your Saturday and your Sunday and everything that entails, but um, okay. So as we were in worship, the only thing that I could think of was that this was a room full of the image of God. And my whole drive here took me like six hours to get here. The whole time I was driving, I was thinking, man, okay, you wrote down this stuff. Do you really need to say that? Should you reword this? Maybe you need to write this down when you get there. Uh, You need to, and I, I could be very formal sometimes, and Tim is so free and so loving and peaceable and easygoing and just rolling with the spirit that I realize now that this is just a room full of the image of God and we love one another. And even if we don't get to anything, even if we spend the right short amount of silence together, just soaking in the presence of God, then everything's worth it. So let's not worry about it. But I do want to start with um, a prayer. The first thing I'm going to teach you, which is like the first thing they teach you not to do in Protestant 101, is we're going to make the sign of the cross together. Um, And I'm going to teach you why the entirety of the Christian faith can be summed up in making the sign of the cross. So hold up your right hand. Make a, a three. Put them together. In your three fingers, you have representative of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Trickier question, in your two fingers against your palm, what's represented there? Who knows? Who knows? The We got a hand raised. I love that. No. Goodness. Good guess. Good guess. Go ahead. I love that, but nope. Um, the two natures of Christ, God and man. Yeah, the incarnation. Trinitarian, incarnational. Incarnational in your body. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I go to the right because, like he said, I'm a, I'm a pastor at an evangelical charismatic church, but I have an orthodox heart, but I hang out with Catholics. And I don't belong anywhere. It's really weird and uncomfortable. So the sign of the cross is the entirety of Christian doctrine. The the orthodox way is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You push, you don't pull. Right, left. Well, the, the Catholics did it the other way until after 1054. Well, the Catholics do it that way now. So... Let's say, I want to say a prayer together. And this is called the Trisagion prayer. This is the cornerstone of Eastern Orthodox prayers that they say together. So they say, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to you, our God. Glory to you. 
O heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of truth, who are present everywhere, filling all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and abide with us, cleanse us of every stain, and save our souls, gracious Lord. Amen. So now you have a whole church full of people that are going to be making the sign of the cross all of the time. And it's going to be really fun. So I, I don't know what you're expecting. What has Tim told you to expect out of this weekend? What did you tell them about me? Okay. Accurate. On all accounts. So I was thinking a lot too. Uh, Tim has told me so much about you. I've heard so much about you guys. I've heard names, and I can't wait to put them together and figure that out. But I feel like I'm really loud. Um, so Tim has told me that this church, this segment of the body, is very blessed with prophetic giftings, and that you guys walk in that in that reality a lot, and that is rare for a whole group of people and rare to have a place that's conducive to that to cultivate it and curate it and, and help you grow in it. So I've been thinking about how does this fit together and the the contemplative spirituality, which is what all of this is about, is about receiving without intending to receive. Everything's going to be paradoxical. Paradoxical. It's about listening without trying to hear anything. It's going to be about just being without trying to be, without doing anything. Even in the things that we do, they're to help us not do anything. Just waste time with God. Just be with Him. And when we can get that half of the puzzle, that half of the equation, I feel like for people that are moving in this active relationship of receiving from God and then sharing it and speaking it over people, the more available you are to him just in the present moment, day to day, minute by minute, second by second, there will probably be an increase in that prophetic voice within you, within that activity of you being able to share that and a deeper confidence in you being able to share that. So I can't wait for the six-month report of what happens after this. And even if nothing happens, that means we succeeded. We can't lose. So, dude, I don't know. Are you recording this? You're going to have to go back and listen. Oh, good, because I don't know what I said. Um, okay. So here's what I want to do. Um, I want to share a poem with you that I wrote while I was on a contemplative retreat um, because I think it will express to you the heart of what happens when we're open to this sort of thing. So I'll set the scene. I was on a retreat in Nashville, outside of Nashville, Tennessee, at this uh, Dominican nun retreat center, and I was sitting on the back porch, and it was just pitch black. Like, I, I swear I could see right into... I mean, I guess you can see right into space, but I felt like I could just reach out and touch space, if that makes sense. 
and it was like summertime, and there's all these sounds about that normally would have bothered me, but for some reason, they were part of the silence in that moment. So, here's a poem that I wrote. I call it Tacit, if you're familiar with musical terminology. It means silence. The choir of bugs, frogs, and owls sleepily sing Trisagian hymns. Holy, holy, holy. The flickering stars are candles illuminating the expansive temple. No narthex, no nave, no sanctuary. Just an eternal altar with insect altar servers processing in joy, dancing concentric paths around the glory. We commune in the oxygen-rich gifts, metabolizing the eternal word who speaks, calling, forming, creating. Our blood becomes wine. All is in him. He embraces all. We are happy and in love. Let there be light. There's this like cornerstone phrase in contemplative spirituality from um, this guy, St. Ignatius of Loyola. If you, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he would just repeatedly say to God and everything, he would say, you are here now in this. You are here now in this. You are here right now in this. And sitting on that porch with an agenda of not hearing anything, and then hearing frogs and owls and bugs and all this stuff. You are here now in this. And this deep longing at that point in time in my life, in my heart, where I really just wanted to be in a place that was like consecrated as holy. I was just so tired of, of churches being conference centers and being, you know, there's no, I'm, I'm so excited to see art in here. Yeah. And I was so tired of four white walls, not even a cross. There was nothing, nothing to draw that part of me into the story of God. It was just sterile. And I was able to look at just the world. Duh. You are here now in this. So contemplative spirituality. Here's how I came about it. I was not always a part of it. I actually didn't even really grow up in the church. I kind of grew up uh, nominally Christian, you know, Christmas, Easter, that sort of deal, at a church of the Nazarene. It's a very conservative sort of deal. I was the only person that wasn't retired in the church. So when I, uh, when I got to high school, I found much more alluring things to me at that time. You know, the, the typical sex, drugs, rock and roll sort of business and just went off the deep end and had all my daddy issues and all my mommy issues and all my abuse issues and just got very angry. And I'm like, God's an imaginary friend for old people. And just, I was a nasty, I just was a nasty guy. I wasn't, I wasn't nice. I wasn't fun to be around. And um, then my band went on tour and I got desperate. You know what happens when you get desperate? You cry out to God. We were broke down in bad neighborhoods we had no money. We had no means to get home. I was lonely. My girlfriend had just broken up with me. 
It doesn't get worse than that. So I prayed to God, and he answered me. The van that they said would not ever start again started again at least 17 more times. And to me, that was God's voice. When our fuel pump worked, that was the hand of God. So I intellectually believed in God. Terrific. Didn't change anything about my life. He was in my brain. I didn't know what to do with that, really. But as any good all-or-nothing kind of guy is, I was like, okay, God is real. I should probably go to seminary because where else do you figure out things about God? Seminary. What school are you going to go to? I don't know. I don't have a denomination. This Church of Christ school looks pretty neat in Nashville, where I was living at the time. So I go to a Church of Christ school, and they're telling me crazy things. Well, they're not crazy. They believe them. And... um. None of it makes any sense to me. I don't know why I'm there. And then I sign up for this class called Spiritual Formation and Guidance. I think, that sounds fun. And my professor, like the first class, is like, we're going to sit here in silence for 20 minutes. And I'm, I'm like itchy and nervous and scared. And I start crying for some reason that I can't figure out why. And I'm like, what's happening? And she's like, you quit compressing everything down in. You quit piling more on top so that that well of living water that Jesus tells you lives in your heart is cleaning itself out. It's pushing all the muck and the decaying matter and the dirt out. It wants to be clean again. And that is like it. We're just trying to be still and know. We're trying to sit in the presence of God and not fight with him and not fight with our thoughts and not fight with, what do you want me to do in 10 years? What do you want me to do with what happened 10 years ago? What do you want me to do about this family member or this thing that's driving me crazy? What job do I need to take? How do I pay my bills? What diet should I do this year? What, whatever. So I think it's, it's timely that we're doing this you know, this weekend, because every Christian at the New Year is like, I'm going to pray more this year. Well, let's pray differently this year. Yes, pray more. Go ahead and do that, but let's do it differently. Um, So, I get in this class, and it rocks my life, because, you know, like, Christ dies for the life of the world, and then I realize my Christianity can be my life, it can transform me. It could be a path of transformation. And then I, you know, I start realizing, hey, the only books I like to read are by guys that died 800 years ago and all this stuff. So I start realizing, okay, maybe I need to look more into what happened then and start studying church history and all this stuff. And so I'm going to talk a lot about the Eastern Orthodox Church. Is anybody familiar with the Eastern Orthodox Church? My guys. Um, so we'll talk a lot about that. But the problem that this creates in the world that I exist, because I go from Church of the Nazarene to nothing, to unchurched, to Church of Christ, to immediately hired by like a charismatic word of faith, evangelical, I'll just call it what it is, prosperity, um, church. And here I am practicing, you know, vespers, compline, and morning prayers in front of icons in my basement, I don't know where I belong. I feel lonely. I feel isolated. That's just me being vulnerable with you. I don't even know why I'm telling you this right now. Um, But 
here's what I realized, and I wrote this down specifically because I wanted to say it a very specific way. So you know how the world is all, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, that old phrase. I think that caused a big problem. So our culture says, well, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious, having a totally skewed view of what religious really means or what religion is. So the American contemporary church has a fear response, a knee-jerk response back that starts a trend of churches. Here's the quote. Emulating the world with worldly attractions to bring people in to attempt to bait and switch them for Jesus and reduce themselves to emotion-fueled corporations focused on metrics and feelings rather than authentic spirituality and communion with Christ. Are you, are you jiving with that? That bothers me. That makes me very angry, I say with a smile. So what do you do with that? Well, I start trying to reclaim, I, I hate that word, reclaim all the stuff the church did in the first, thou, well, let's just say first 1,500 years before the um, Reformation. And let's see if we can inject that back into the system to see what gave those people such confidence and peace that they were willingly martyred for the faith because their spirituality had connected them so deeply to God that nothing else mattered. So I discover a bunch of stuff. I start hanging out with a, a Benedictine monk who becomes my spiritual director. He's a Catholic. We're going, that's going well. And somehow through that meeting, I end up getting introduced to Eastern Orthodoxy, and I start spending time with Orthodox priests and going to services and monasteries and practicing the prayers because I'm like, I intellectually get this, but I don't get this. And everybody I talk to says, that's because you're not supposed to get it. You're supposed to live it. You're not supposed to just get Jesus and understand the Godhead. You're supposed to live God. You're supposed to live in him and him in you. And it's supposed to transform you from one degree of glory to another into the likeness of Christ on and on and on and on. So I start realizing my intuition all along was right. We can't reduce our Christian life to one moment where we just get saved and then move on. Because we're still getting saved. And the Eastern Church, they call that theosis. We're being radically transformed. And then I start thinking even this idea of, of communion, right? Not just, I don't just mean the Eucharist. I'll get to that. But communion with God also means communion with his saints. And it also means, I think you said this in a video, not just communion with the saints here, which is the church militant, but communion this way, the church triumphant, those who are even more alive in Christ, now all of a sudden, God's gotten even bigger. Everything is connected. It's messy. There's symbolism for crying out loud. Symbolism is good. And I used to think symbolism means something is like a thing, but it is not. And then I start realizing in all these prayer practices and these motions and different things, even like you know the sign of the cross, Symbolism points to something that represents something, but within it holds a deeper reality that is true. It could be truer than it is real. 
It's not metaphor. It's symbolism. So that's awesome. I want to talk about something, but it is not related, but it's really cool, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Maybe another time. Um, detachment. Whereas a lot of times I'm, I'm hearing, you know, in, in American church, this idea of God's going to give you things and stuff, and you're never going to be sick. And if this is foreign to you, God bless you. I'm so happy for you. But that is rampant in America. Whereas the early church was detaching themselves healthily from the world and possessions and things and healthily attaching themselves to Christ. Again, martyrdom. You can be martyred without dying. You can be martyred to the world. And it's all in opposition to this like Western rationalist enlightenment theology, which is, okay, I'm reading the scriptures and that seems kind of mysterious. That must mean I'm reading it wrong. No, it means you're reading it right because it's a mystery. The word mystery is in there quite a bit. So we have to be comfortable with that. Or instead of saying, okay, there's only one one theologically correct understanding of salvation, and it's forensic, and it's juridical, and it's legal terminology only. We were guilty. Christ paid the penalty. We're off the hook. No, the early church, that is foreign to them. They'll say, sure, there's some substitution in there, but you know what it is? Is He set you free. He gave you life. He released you from the bondage of death and sin. It was, a, it was a rescue mission. It was a, a special ops mission, you know? So that's like, there's two levels to all these things. Here's a good quote. So there's a, an Orthodox bishop, Callisto Swears. Anybody ever heard of him? Orthodox folk? And this is it. Everything gets messy. We can't silo our spirituality into church time, quiet time in the morning, Bible time, this. He says, theology, mysticism, spirituality, moral rules, worship, art, these things must not be kept in separate compartments. Doctrine cannot be understood unless it is prayed. A theologian, said Evagrius, is one who knows how to pray. And he who prays in spirit and in truth is by that very act a theologian. I don't know if I pronounced this right. Is it Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi? Have you heard that? I think it's Latin. I don't know. I don't speak it. But it means we pray what we believe. We believe what we pray. So that means it's okay to pray words that aren't your own. That means sometimes the most authentic spirituality is learning to mean words you did not come up with. I went to an Orthodox monastery north of Pittsburgh and I was hanging out with the nuns and we were walking around. If you've never seen the inside of an Orthodox church, it is painted top to bottom with what they call iconography. It's pictures of saints and scenes from the scriptures and all these things. I mean, completely. It's like sensory overload when you're in there. And the one, the, the abbess of the monastery was saying to me, she goes, you know, a really good friend of mine said, how did you learn all this theology? And I told her, I said, well, you just go to church, you read your Bible, and you say your prayers. I want to throw this microphone right now. That gets me, like, shouldn't that be it? If you want to know God, go to church, say your prayers, read your Bible. You don't have to go to theology school. You don't have to 
You don't have to do any of that crazy stuff. And then that, that gets me thinking about the scene in the scripture with the Virgin Mary, how she pondered and treasured all these things in her heart. Stuff that, that is communicated to her from God, she savors it. She mulls it over. She lets it sit there. She doesn't have to go proclaiming it from the rooftops. It's a quiet meditation, a simmer, marination. So all of this to say, there's an orientation, then there's a disorientation, and then there's a reorientation. And that's what happened to me. I had an orientation of what I thought spirituality was, of what I thought prayer was, of what I thought, who I thought Jesus was. And then Jesus disoriented all that by saying, nope, or yep, but nope. And then I'm being reoriented continuously. So what do you need to know as we start exploring some of these practices, which we're going to do, I promise. I'm not just going to talk at you the whole time. Um, I don't even know if I need to do this, but I like to address the, the Protestant red flags that start coming up when we start exploring some of this stuff, which is, where is that in the Bible? Point to the verse where that is. I almost sounded like Hank Hill for a second. Um, <clears throat> well, there's a balance to things. It's, um, there was a guy, Richard Hooker, he was an, an Anglican priest in the 1800s, and he had this three-legged stool idea, which was the three legs of the stool are scripture, tradition, and, oh, tradition, and your lived spiritual experience. And if any one of those legs is out of balance, you're going to fall off. So scripture is obvious. We'll be praying from the scriptures a lot. And you know that the whole 2 Timothy 3.16, all of scripture is God-breathed and good for X, Y, Z. Um, that's an obvious one. Tradition, I want to read a verse. Oh, no. If I can find it. Okay. Did you know that this is in the Bible? This blew my mind. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word, some translations will say word of mouth, or by epistle, meaning the letter that he wrote. That means there's some things that Paul taught the churches to do that are not in here. Is anybody uncomfortable with that? I love you. That was, like, scandalous to me when I realized the Bible I thought I knew so well advocated for tradition. Just good ones, yeah. Right. Right. And spiritual heart, your lived experience. Christianity is a faith to be lived and experienced through your your personality, because you are unique. You are made special. And God loves you special. So the way that you're going to experience him, while in corporate settings will be corporate, in individual settings will be individual. And so much of what we do in our spirituality is active spirituality. 
I have things I need to say to God or I need to say at God, so I'm going to say them or I'm going to do this or I need to go make sure that I'm serving four nights a week at the church or whatever it is and I'm, I'm doing this. If I have free time, I need to fill it by reading. I need to fill it by watching. I need to fill it by listening. Noise, 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 noise. This is the other side of the equation. This is passive spirituality. It's listening spirituality. Be still and know. He tells us that, to be still and to know. So silence and solitude come into play. In fact, there's a guy, Henry Nowen, anybody familiar with Henry Nowen? He talks about how you can't, you can't go into community without first being in silence as an individual. And you can't go into ministry without first healthily being in community. So if we're to minister effectively at all, it has to start with silence and solitude. So I have this video that I want to show you from this. Um, he's an Orthodox, a Romanian Orthodox priest, Father Roman Braga. He sounds like Dracula when he talks because he's Romanian. But he was, um, he was held in a uh, communist concentration camp for 11 years, three of them in solitary confinement. And this is what he has to say about silence and solitude, and it's better than I can say it. So let's watch it. So we have to make this experience to enter in ourselves to discover God within ourselves. How? <laughs> well, what to say to you, it's hard in America because here, you know, the young people want to live in noise. They make a lot of noise because they don't feel good if it is not too much noise around. It's like an escape. This so-called music, I don't know if it is music or not, it's some, some noise. Some, uh, but they like it because they are afraid to stay by themselves, to be quiet one hour in one place and don't say anything. Stay there because God wants to talk to you. And they are afraid to make these experiences and an escape. They said, well, let's make noise to, 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 to be... As a little girl in, in the camp, I always, uh, we have a religious education camp, I always mention that there was a little girl there, uh, was a teenage, not so little, and she had two transistors, one here and one here, because there were two programs, I don't know, with the earphone, both of them full blast, and she was walking through the camp. And somebody told her, shut them off. And she said, Father, if I shut them off, I'm getting crazy. Imagine what a dramatic situation. Not to be able to be just you and Jesus Christ. If you don't say, if you don't have anything to say to him, he has something to say to you. But that is the experience. First of all, we have to, to, uh, to be at least one or two hours by ourselves there. Not only in prayer to say something to ask, give me that, give me that, dog. No, this is, not this is a prayer. The prayer is 
to have that feeling that God is within you. That is the definition of prayer. It's not as much as you read. It's not much, uh, as many psalms you say. Prayer is when you feel that God is within you. We are a mystery. We don't know who we are. David said, what is man, Lord, that you pay so much attention to him? You made him a little less than the angels. You crowned him with glory. And what is man? We don't know. We don't know why God needed to create me, you and me. Because God is fullness. But he wanted to have some ta some, somebody to talk with. We don't understand. God wants to talk us all the time. We don't pay any attention to him. Whoop, came in a little hot there. Um, and it's not like this guy's making that up. Jesus did this. He went to lonely places he went to mountains to pray, to be with his father, to hear what his father had to say. It's in Luke five sixteen, In Habakkuk 2.20, it says, let the, all the earth keep silence before him. This is good, and it is sad that we can't do that. But I think I know why. I think because when we do that, it could be painful we are wounded, weak, flawed individuals. We all come to Christ with baggage. And we don't want to sort through it. We want to just set it behind us and think that it's gone forever. And I'm not saying that, that God doesn't set us free from things, but God is merciful, which means he helps us sort through it and own the freedom because Hard work is not a bad thing. We could do spiritual hard work. We could flex that muscle. We work out our bodies. We work out our minds. We should work out our spirits. So, the painful thing, this occurred to me on my drive down here. So, all of these um, practices are very reminiscent of the desert you hear so much people talk about the desert of spirituality, the early desert fathers, the early desert mothers. Jesus goes off into the desert and he's tempted and he's fasting. The desert itself is not a great place to be. It's dry. It's arid. It's harsh. It's difficult. Jesus was tempted by the dang devil out there. That's going to happen to us when we go into this desert. Because this is our, it's the dojo, it's the fighting ground, it's the workout space. And the fruit of this experience is not in the desert, it's when you come back from it. So much about, again, the microwavable thing, the, the American, the quintessential, um, quintessential American spirituality is the fruit of the experience is the experience. I'm not saying anything bad about what we're doing here, but you turn off all the lights. We, we focus only on ourselves and our individual business with God. 
We play the music so loud that we can't even hear the person next to us singing because we don't want to be ashamed of anybody's voices or anybody moving their bodies a certain way. So corporate worship really isn't all that corporate because it's just a bunch of individuals. And the songs are designed with this ebb and flow of, of high parts and low parts to get us feeling certain things. And then we walk out of the, and not even that, then we kick the lights on, meet and greet. Everybody's, oh, brother, it's so good to see you. Aren't you good? The Lord's just so awesome. And then somebody tells you for a very long time something that you're probably not even going to remember, and then you go back to your life as it was until the next Sunday. That's incredibly jaded of me to say. But um, I don't think I'm entirely wrong. And where was I going with that? Yeah, that's true. Um, Oh, because the experience is the fruit. The fruit is right then and there, and then you go back to status quo. But the desert is all about going out there and struggling and picking up your cross and climbing up to the city of God at the top of the hill as hard as it may be, and then you go back to your life changed. Moses comes down from the mountain with a shining face. The transfiguration happens, and is Peter and John, right? They're on the ground. Their shoes are ripping their shoes off, and then they go back different. The desert is not easy. The desert hurts. The desert is hard. But what's after is sweet. So prayer becomes not an activity, but a way of being, a way of living, like what the Father was saying. You have this constant awareness of God's presence, and there's this cultivated thing that happens. Have you ever heard of the, uh, the book called the Practicing, Practice, Practicing the Presence of God, Brother Lawrence? He's doing the dishes, and he, that's prayer to him. He's tending the garden, and that becomes prayer to him, because he sees God in that. You are here now in all things. This becomes this. The Jesus prayer, which I think we'll probably do that tonight, um, becomes this synchronized breathing prayer that takes very seriously Paul's admonition to pray without ceasing. Can we create a prayer of our hearts that is continuously going? And then those around us begin to notice that there's a change. It bears testimony that it worked. Where We might not even notice it, but your husband, your wife, your children, your employer, your friends will start to notice there's something changing about you. This helps us combat the noise in the world, the pollution, the sound pollution, the thought pollution. Who lays in bed and the freight train of thoughts just runs around your head in circles? Or you're driving and you don't even realize how you got to the place that you got to because your mind was just... Or somebody's talking to you and you're thinking about who knows what. And then, oh, yeah, no, totally. Um materialism, you know, like I said, healthy detachment and attachment. And here's the thing. All of this, what is the hallmark of intimacy? When you can just be. We are human what's? What are we? Human beings. We're not human doings. And all these things that, we, that we're going to utilize, the tools in the toolbox to cultivate this life of prayer are, bad word, rituals. Ritual is the language of romance. It is the language of relationship. 
when you want to cultivate your relationship with someone you love, what do you do? You prepare a meal. You clean yourself up real nice. You light some candles. You put out some flowers. That really doesn't look all that different than what the church historically has always done. You dress nice. Not saying that you can't just show up, but you dress nice. You show up. You light some candles. This is your, your burnt offering to God. It basically was what it is. And there's, there's imagery involved. There's romantic poetry involved. And this is good. And I don't know if you've ever heard this. Somebody told this to me one time. When you are in a committed, long-standing marriage and you are in love, by the end of life, you start to kind of resemble one another. Have you ever heard that? And I thought that was weird because I had this lady in her 80s one time. My wife and I have been married six years. That's not that long in the scheme of things, but long enough that we figured everything out. And this woman in her 80s said, oh, you guys are so cute. You just look like brother and sister. And I thought that's a really weird thing to say to a married couple. And she said, no, that means that you have intimacy because you're starting to resemble one another in the way your mannerisms, your language, the way you carry yourself. So if we have intimacy in our relationship with God, we should start to resemble him. We should start to resemble more purely the image of God through Christ. We should walk like him. We should talk like him. We should pray like him. And there's some, some Bible stuff to back that up. I don't even know if I feel like finding it right now because I'm not that quick. Second Corinthians 3. I'm quicker than I thought. Um, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Yeah. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Being transformed into that same image of Christ. Where's where's Second Peter? Found it. Second Peter one four. By which we have been given, by which ha, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we can partake of the divine nature. We can claim it as our own. Or we can accept that Christ already claimed it as our own. So these prayer practices are ancient forms created from an intimate knowledge of God through his scripture, through his tradition, and the personal experience of his Holy Spirit, and were developed for the sake of his children and their ability to abide in him. Sounds good, yeah? 
So you start to notice you have more discernment, more peace, more trust, more grace, more patience, a greater awareness of God in everything. The point is deeper communion. Christ is restorative, so it's restoring us to that initial communion that we were always meant to have with him. Participation, recapitulation, and it's holistic. It's mind, it's body, it's heart, it's soul. All of it takes place of it. We don't just sit and think. We don't just actively do. We don't just feel. It's all there. And there's different phases of life with this. So, you know, God loves us. He's already with us. He just wants our being to rest in his being. And you grow into that. So there's a story from a book I read called Armchair Mystic. I recommend this book. It's by Mark Thibodeau. And he tells the story of his Aunt Sally. He says, when I was a child and my mother would take me to visit Aunt Sally, my mother would tell me, tell Aunt Sally hi. Tell Aunt Sally I'm good when she asks how are you. She would feed you the responses or the words to say. And that's where we all start. And sometimes that's where we all have to go to. We don't outgrow that. And then over time, he and Aunt Sally developed a relationship where he was old enough that he would only need to be told thematically what to say. Tell Aunt Sally how you are. Tell Aunt Sally what you did in school yesterday. Tell Aunt Sally about our family vacation. And then you grow in wisdom and stature. And you're able to just go visit Aunt Sally, and you can just have a two-way conversation. You can tell her whatever you want, whenever you want. You listen to her. You start to savor the stories that she would tell you of old, of the, the books that she would read you, and you have this dynamic relationship. And then eventually, when you grow into full maturity, and Aunt Sally's in full maturity, you can go visit her, and you can just sit and just be with her And you don't feel like it was a waste of a visit. You leave knowing that she loved you and you loved her just the same, just as well, by just spending time together. Taking a walk without talking, eating a meal and just smiling at one another. So sometimes we need stage one, and that's, probably a bad thing to call it. I, I, would, I would relegate, not relegate, I would uh, connect that with like liturgical prayer. The, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, and you have to pray it in an old English or else you did it wrong. No joke. So I, I've been in youth ministry for like five years and I started incorporating liturgical prayer into the youth ministry services. They love it. But when we did the Lord's Prayer, I updated the language and they couldn't do it. So I said, you know, what the heck? I'm going to put it back in the these, thys, arts. And they all had it memorized already. So we just do it in the old English, and it's beautiful. Um, so sometimes we need, we need that. We need to follow a prayer book. We need to follow the hours of prayer, morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Sometimes we just need ideas of what to pray about. So we look at, like, you know, those prayer journals that like give you topics and nice bulleted headings and then you can just talk to God about that stuff. Other times, you're just ready, rip-roaring to go and you and God just talk or you just sit and listen. And then eventually, you can just be with him. And everything is connected and everything is in him because we really only live in a one-story universe. 
It's not this multi-tiered thing. So I guess that kind of sums everything up. What time is it? Did I do okay? Oh, I did great. Great job, Derek. Um, so let's pray. Let's do something. You guys want to do something? Who's familiar with the Jesus prayer? Anybody not familiar with it? Because that'll be really exciting to me. The Jesus prayer. The prayer of the heart. If we want to get technical, hesychastic prayer. I've heard it said that everybody wants the Jesus prayer, but nobody wants the Jesus. So the Jesus prayer is this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Sounds like some things we read in Scripture. And so this fancy rope that I wear on my wrist here is developed by Russians, and that's how they count off how many times they say the Jesus prayer a day. In obedience to their spiritual father or to their spiritual mother, they'll say, you really need, work on it. Say, see if you could say the Jesus prayer 500 times today. And that might seem arbitrary and stupid, but it's working the muscle. Because as I started that obedience to trying to say the Jesus prayer at least 100 times, 200 times, 300 times a day, I noticed that when I would wake up in the middle of the night from a nightmare, I was already saying the Jesus prayer. Because the disposition of my heart had become, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And again, Protestant red flags. He already had mercy on the cross. We don't need it anymore. Yes, we do. That's all I'm going to say about that. Always ask God for mercy because he's always giving it to you. The fact that you woke up this morning is a mercy. The fact that you're breathing oxygen is a mercy. So, the Jesus prayer is not about relaxation, though it may help you become relaxed. It's not about focus, but you will end up focusing. It's not about vain repetition, but you will say it a lot. The point is to always have the name of Jesus on your lips, in your mind, in your heart, constantly. To pray without ceasing. So, what you would do is, we'll just do it silently. And I don't know how long we'll do it. How about I set a timer? I, don't, I just got this phone. I don't know how to use it. <laughs> oh, it's already unlocked. Guys, where is, where is clock? I can do it, Tim. I'll just stand here awkwardly. Is it the one that looks like a clock? I found it. Oh, not 50 minutes. Five minutes. You think we can handle five minutes in silence? It's, I'm going to tell you. I'm glad you asked. So you'll sit in silence. You want to get comfortable, but not too comfortable. Feet flat on the floor, back upright. And you'll close your eyes. If any thought comes to mind, do not try to wrestle it away. Treat it as leaves on a stream. Acknowledge them. Let them float past you. Clear your senses, set your intentions on God's presence, knowing that what you want is just to be with him. And with the breath in, mentally you'll say,
Lord Jesus Christ, and on the breath out, Son of God, have mercy on me. Breathing in, Lord Jesus Christ. Breathing out, Son of God, have mercy on me. And just do that for five minutes.
Amen. Who felt like that took forever? Who felt like that went by like that? Different perspective. It's interesting. Who had a hard time with their thoughts? Did you catch yourself saying the Jesus prayer but thinking about something else? Or imagining things? Did images come into your mind, Tim? No images. It's tricky. And the church figured this out very early on in the desert with the monastics or just in general, the the people. They said, you know what? When we do this, we're going to devote ourselves to it, and they notice some patterns. One, sometimes some particularly nasty thoughts start coming to mind when we're trying to pray the Jesus prayer. A Russian saint once said the Jesus prayer burns the demons. So as you're praying this, they're going to be gripping on for dear life, trying to throw every trick they got. So maybe some nasty thoughts come up or nasty feelings come up. And the, and the, the Greeks came up with this fancy word called logismoi. And he said, they said, there's two different types of thoughts. And God ain't mad at you for having either. There's the thoughts that when they come, you just say, oh, hey, thought, and let it go. Or there's the ones that you determine you're going to wrestle them away and fight until you realize that, oh, wait, they're holding on to you while you're trying to fight them away. And you've just taken all of your time trying to fight a thought rather than being in the presence of God. So this is complex, and it's difficult. And I will not encourage you to say the Jesus prayer for more than five minutes at a time for the first year that you say it. If this is something you want to practice. And not everybody's called to contemplative spirituality, by the way. I probably should have said that in the first 20 seconds that I started talking. But if you want to try this, I would recommend setting a timer for five minutes a day or a week and just try it. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Get you a prayer rope. If you just Google prayer rope, they'll come up. Sometimes adding that tactile element really helps. You're just thumbing through the knots on the rope. You've engaged your body. Our faith is Trinitarian. It's incarnational. So we can use physical items in our spirituality. Anyway, I could probably talk about that forever. But I am I am officially done speaking at you right now. Anybody have anything that they want to ask or complain about or cheer about? I'm open to it. I want to I want to dialogue with my friends. Yeah.
peeling back the layers like an onion, like in Shrek. I don't know how I just went from Native American spirituality to Shrek, but if anybody can do it, it's me. Um, yeah. Yeah, we have these layers. And I was going to talk about that. I, I talked about it once already, but that idea of that well of water and that we're always compacting more dead stuff into it. The water's just as pure underneath of it all. And it'll work its way out if you let it. But if you're constantly shoving more on top of it and into it and pounding it down in there, it's just going to it's just going to sit there. It's always there. You don't have to go in with a shovel and dig it out. You just have to stop piling more on. It'll do its own work. The Holy Spirit within us praying will do the stuff. We just have to let him. That's a cool story, though. I'm going to use that. I promise. Anybody else have anything? Tim, you look confused. You okay? <laughs> yeah, you look, you went like this. <laughs> All right. That's it. That's 100% it. Yeah. And you would think, since we walk around saying, have mercy on you all the world, it's like, you just forgiven already. Accept it and like, get happy. Hmm. But what I smelled in the room when they were saying it was confidence in his mercy mm-hmm. and an awareness of their ongoing need mm-hmm. of transformation and grace. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's like marital language. You know what I mean? I, I don't... When you... Bad analogy, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like, when you tell your spouse, I love you, you have an expectation they're going to say, I love you too. And you're not saying it because you're insecure and you don't think they really love you, but you're confident that they do. And you want to engage with that. that, Is that analogous to what you're saying? Aw. You hang up first. No, you hang up. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a, you know, the Orthodox, I love, I love, I, my heart is Orthodox. I'm probably going to be there at some point. Um, yeah, so all these things that we look at is like, why are you begging for mercy like you're scared to death? It's, it's this joyous, Lord have mercy, and this expectation of his holiness is not external to me, 
but it's in me, and I'm a part of it, because I look around the church, in the Orthodox Church, and I see all the saints, you know, all these great heroes of the faith, like in, like in Hebrews when it talks about like the hall of faith, you know? And in the Orthodox service, they go through with a, with a, a censer, a thing of, in, whoa, spilling water everywhere. And they, they're swinging the censer of incense, and that's the prayers, you know, incense. They offered incense in the temple with prayer. And they go around the church, and they sense all the icons, all the images of God and the saints. And then the priest and the deacon stops, and he looks at you in the congregation, and they sense you because you're an icon of God. You are one of the saints that is depicted on the wall, and his holiness is in you. So it's this tying together, this recapitulation of all things uh, in one. And it's just awe-inspiring and humbling and beautiful and amazing to be a part. You are part of the architecture, you know. Um, yeah, you are the temple. Absolutely. It's the building block. And, you know, I even have friends, a really close friend of mine who told me she went through this incredibly difficult two-year span of just down and out total depression. Couldn't even get out of bed depression. She said, the only thing I could do was lay in bed and pray the Jesus prayer. She goes, and if it weren't for that, I don't know if I would have pulled out of that two years. I, I just... I asked for God's mercy, expectant of God's mercy, knowing that he was giving me his mercy and that he would continue to do so. So when you have nothing else to say, Lord, have mercy, you know. And like I said, let it become this this programming of your heart. I mean, I can't count the number of nights that I, I wake up and I'm like, have mercy. Like it's already coming out of my mouth like as I'm getting out of bed when I practice it regularly, when I don't during the day, that eventually goes away. But it's a good place to be. Yeah. It's a beautiful way to put it because what is music is a combination of sounds and silences. Music is not just sound the entire time. And like to me that's what makes Pink Floyd so great because <laughs> D- David Gilmour will play like four notes and I'll be weeping. It, right, he doesn't just noodle and self-serve to impress everybody. He says what he has to say and lets it linger. So, yeah, this, that's the rest. In the, in the grand orchestration of our life, we need, to, we need to make sure that we observe the rests. 
Beautiful. I'm really glad you said that. Some things. So um, in the morning, I just want to do. I just want to do practices. I just want to do different things. Um, so I was thinking we could pray some, a liturgical morning prayer together. Um, if we print it out. So liturgy means the work of the people. And um, some people are opposed to liturgical prayer because they feel like it's rote in a bad way. Um, but if you view all of life as sacramental, then it's it's preparing you for the second liturgy, which happens after the, the first one. Duh. Um, so I figured we could start just communally praying morning prayers together. And then I want to do the centering prayer, which is that ringy bell prayer that Tim likes so much. And then I wanted to do a prayer labyrinth, but I couldn't get my hands on one. So we could make something up. Um, I have some ideas. I have printouts of them. We could just trace them with our finger. It'll be real like finger painting. Um, I saw a couple of them, but I didn't want us to have to go anywhere. Yeah. If anybody would know, it would be him. <laughs> um, so that could even be something maybe we do in the afternoon. If everybody wants to go, we could go find it or something. But, um, And then I also have this letter-writing exercise that has been very impactful to me in the past. So bring a notebook and a pencil tomorrow, and um, we'll give that a shot. All of these things, I'm going to tell you to do them, and then afterwards tell you not to do them. So we'll just deal with that when we do. And then tomorrow night, I titled very misleadingly the, the, the talk, How to Handle a Big Catch. Spoiler alert, you do nothing. But I'll tell you how to do nothing <laughs> tomorrow night. And then we'll probably do... That's on Sunday, yeah. Oh, no. Am I missing a page? How am I going to know what to say? Oh, I found it. Um, yeah. And I thought we would close with another session of the centering prayer because each time it gets a little better. And possibly do, some people pronounce it examen or examen. You were telling me about that. I can't remember what her, what's your name again? Rena. Rena was talking about this. So I think we should do it. And we'll do it. And then we'll just see where we go from there. That's what I got. You want incense? Because I can go get some. Our friend, our mutual friend Eric, went to this Orthodox church, and he sat. You sit in front of the choir, or you stand in front of the choir in the Orthodox church. And he said, the first the first time he ever went, he could hear this behind him and he turned around and one of the ladies in the choir was wearing a World War I gas mask because she was allergic to the incense so I can't figure out why she was in the choir if she had to wear a gas mask but I figured if that was going to happen to anybody it would be our friend Eric But so you could always just wear a gas mask right yeah fallout shelter sort of deal um, but yeah and we could I'm, I'm open we could do whatever what do you want to do? Yeah.
Okay, I'll share what I know. <laughs> you have a story? Okay, we'll do a story and then I'll let everybody go. Mm-hmm. Alter servers. Oh no. So be cautious with your incense, folks. So, well, great. Um, probably. I just can't think of it right now. That one, like, bookends everything. Or we could just pray the Lord's Prayer together. I like that. Let's do that. Get out your sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.